0: Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. If you have your Bibles, turn to the next to the last book of the Bible, the book of Jude. It only has one chapter, only has 25 verses, a little over 460 words, It's one of the shortest books in all the Bible, and for that reason, it is one of the most neglected books of the Bible. Back in October, I was in a van uh, that was filled with senior adults from our church. We were on our way to Blue Ridge, Georgia for an Apple trip. Doug Kearns, one of our deacons, long-term leader in our church, he was driving the van, and he says to me, I'm sitting shotgun in the van, he says to me, well, what sermon series are you working on? And I said, well... Uh, this was early October, I said, I'm about to do a short series from the Psalms, which I did. And I said, and then I'm going to do a Christmas series for Advent. And I did that. But I said, "Uh, I'm working on several different possible series for the new year. And then I I said to him, you know, I don't call him Doug Kearns, I call him Kudzu Kearns. Um, I said, Kudzu, what, what would you like to hear? And he said, you know, I've never heard a series from Jude. I said, well, I've never done a series from Jude. In fact, I've avoided Jude like the plague. Can you pick something else? He said, no, I'd kind of like to hear from Jude. So this morning, I'm going to begin a four-part series from this very short book of Jude. Jude had two, two different purposes or a twofold purpose. One, he was countering some false teachers who had infiltrated the church he was writing to. We don't know who that church was. He doesn't tell us. But some false teachers had come in there and he was uh, uh, engaging them, countering them. And second, he wanted to shore up the believers who were in this church so that they would fight for their faith, for the faith that they had originally received from their own teachers. So uh, although this is a short letter, it is so important. Now I'm going to read the first two verses of Jude. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we love you. We love you. That you love us so much we love your word even the little books because they're like firecrackers that pack a loud and strong punch and that's the way Jude is so Lord help us to take this little book unpack it and pull out of it some things that not only did his church need to hear almost 2,000 years ago but our church needs to hear in the 21st century. In Jesus' name, amen. Raise your hand if you have ever been pulled over by a state trooper or a sheriff's deputy or a police officer for a traffic citation. Would you raise your hand, all of you? Yeah, this is a a law-violating bunch here, I'm telling you. Raise your hand if you've been pulled over more than five times. Let's see that. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. So I want you to imagine after you leave here today you're on your way home or to the restaurant or wherever you're going and you find yourself in that unenviable position of looking in your rearview mirror and the blue bubblegum lights are going on and you hear the siren and you look around you just know that this person is pulling somebody else over but it's it's you. And so your heart drops You immediately look at your speedometer to see how fast you're going and start up an argument on why you should not have been pulled over to begin with. You find the first available space to pull your car over and then the state trooper pulls over behind you and he keeps his lights flashing on and he stays in the vehicle for what seems like an eternal number of minutes, you know. You're thinking about, hey, he needs to hurry up and get out of here. I've got places to go. Cracker Barrel only stays open so long. You're even thinking about getting out of your car and going back there, but you know what he's going to do if you get out of your car, he's going to say, "Get back in your car." And so you just stay put, you pull out your license and your insurance card. Some of you will even pull out your gun permit card. And the state trooper gets out of his car and he comes to the side and you pull the window down, and he says to you, "May I see some identification, please?" And you hand him your driver's license. And your insurance card some of you may be handing him a credit card and said just keep it if you'll just let me go but he looks at you and he says no these are not what I what I need I am looking for identification but I don't want your driver's license or your insurance card or your credit card or your gun permit here's here's what I, I want I want to know if you have some identification that will prove that you are a follower of Jesus What identification will you produce? The letter of Jude is one that was written to some people and the writer of this letter wanted his his people to listen to what he was saying. As we'll find out a little bit later, he had started out writing a totally different letter, got interrupted by something that was more urgent and decided to write a different letter. So he was even more urgent that he write this letter than the one he originated. He wants them to listen, but they want some identification. And so he gives them his identification in these first two verses. They're not very exciting verses. In fact, most of the time when we read the letters in the New Testament, and anything except for Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Acts, and Revelation is a letter. All the rest of them are letters. Most of the time, we pass over the first two or three or four verses because we call those the greeting, the salutation. And it normally starts out like Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints who are at Philippi. And so we think there's not a whole lot in those greetings, and so we immediately go beyond them to the beginning of the letter. After all, if you get a letter in the mail and you open it up, you don't spend a whole lot of time on the dear so-and-so and the yours truly. You'll glance at it, but then you want to get straight to the body of the letter. But the problem with Bible letters is that there are some important pieces of information in those opening verses, in those opening greetings. And so Jude, in these opening verses, is giving us the identification in order to prove to us that he's a follower of Christ. So there are five pieces of information he gives his readers, and I want us to take a look at those. First of all, he says, my name is Jude. My name is Jude. Now in the original language, this book was originally penned in Greek the name is literally Judas. But Judas had some bad connotations to it by the time translators started translating the books. After all, the first, if I say to you, what's the first person you think of when I say Judas, you're going to say to me, Judas Iscariot, if you say anything at all. And so they didn't want him to be remembered as Judas Iscariot. And so he says, my name is Jude. Now, to be honest with you, we do not know for certain which Jude this was. You can read commentaries where a commentator will say, This Jude is definitely this person, and that's that, that commentator's opinion. We we really don't know for sure. There are several Judes in the New Testament. There are probably tons more Judes outside the New Testament. And we don't know if this Jude was someone who's already been mentioned in the New Testament or if he was someone outside the New Testament. He doesn't tell us. He just tells us that his name was Jude. And he also says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ, and he says, I'm the brother of James. Now we don't know for sure who the James was, except for the fact that Jude and James obviously are brothers. And so who was this Jude? Well. Assuming that this Jude was also one of the other Judes mentioned in the New Testament, and again, we don't know for sure, but assuming that he was, there was only one Jude who had a brother named James, both of whom are mentioned in the Scriptures. And that Jude was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. You will recall that Mary and Joseph, uh, they have Jesus. Mary gives birth to Jesus. She's a virgin. Joseph is not Jesus' biological father. God is his biological father. He is born. He's their oldest. But somewhere later, we believe that Mary and Joseph had at least six of their own children. Six because there are four brothers outside of Jesus who are mentioned, and their names are mentioned. The gospel writers, Matthew and Mark in particular, also Luke, give them that give us the names of those four brothers. Then they say, and his sisters, with an S, are also here, which means there are at least two. They don't, they don't name the sisters. So there are at least four other brothers that Jesus has, and at least two other sisters, and they are his half-brothers. And, and Jude is one of those half-brothers, and he has a brother named James. So if this Jude is someone who's already in the New Testament, then the only one that we have in the New Testament with a brother named James is Jude, who is also the half-brother of Jesus. But it's not my point here to pull out the fact that his name is Jude, although that is important. My point here is to say that Jude is his name. Jude was the name that his parents whoever his parents were gave him when he was born He had no choice what his name would be. My name is Jimmy Franklin or I did not have a choice in that name Because if I'd have had a choice and I knew that I wouldn't have a choice of my last name It was going to be Orr, I was either going to be named either or iron or gold <laughs> Never mind He had no choice. We're given a name. Now we can legally change that name at some point, but you can't change the fact that your mom and dad gave you a particular name at the time that you were born or in some cases the time that you were adopted. You have a name. My name is Jude. But my point here is this, for Jude and for you and for me, we are so much more than the name which we were given at birth. So much more. And so he goes further. Not only is my name Jude, but I am the brother of James. Again, he didn't say which James this is, but if this James is also the half-brother of Jesus, then this particular James was a notable person in the New Testament. Now, why would Jude mention that he's the brother of James? Let's assume that this James is not the one who is an influential person in the New Testament, but he's a different James. Why would Jude even say, I'm the brother of James? It would make no sense. It only makes really good sense if Jude mentions that he's the brother of James because James is someone his readers are familiar with. If James is someone who has a reputation of having a holy character, if James is someone whose name itself carries authority, now we know that James, the half-brother of Jesus, in the book of Acts, became the lead pastor of the first Christian church in Jerusalem. We know that because when you, when you open the book of Acts to Acts chapter 15, there is a business meeting. It's the first recorded major business meeting. And they have met to decide whether or not Gentiles can be received into the Christian faith without having to, to undergo Jewish rituals like circumcision. And the congregation was split. One one group said, well, they can become Christians, Gentiles can. Gentiles are non-Jewish people, which would be you and me. They said Gentiles can come to faith, but they must be circumcised. They must come under Jewish rituals. Another group, about half the congregation, said, no, they can come to faith in Christ just like we did, just by receiving Christ. They don't have to be circumcised or come under the influence of Jewish rituals. And so the church was split. So here's how they came to a final decision. Paul spoke, but that didn't do it. Simon Peter spoke, but that didn't do it. John spoke, but that didn't get it done. James, who is the half-brother of Jesus and the brother of Jude and the pastor of the church, he stands up and he says, ladies and gentlemen, here's what we're going to do. And his word was like E.F. Hutton. It settled the issue. They, they chose right then and there that people did not have to have Jewish rituals to be Christians, they only had to receive Christ by faith. And so here we have the brother of James, he's a person, he, Jude says, I'm the brother of James, James is an authoritative figure, an influential Peter, uh, person, and Jude is aligning himself with James, his brother. Now here's what I want you to get, listen up. all of us affiliate with somebody. All of us have family with whom we affiliate. We have friends with whom we affiliate. Jude says, I affiliate with James. He's writing to these people, says, hey, some of you may know me, but if you don't know me, you know my brother, James. And you know of his influence and his holiness, and I am aligning myself with him. You and I align ourselves with certain people, family, friends. We are known in part by the name we're given at birth, but we are also known by the reputation of the people with whom we associate. My grandfather used to say to me, son, if you sleep with the dogs, you will get fleas. Now what he meant by that was the people that you hang out with will rub off their reputation their character will rub off on you. Now we have to be careful here because Jesus spent most of his time with sinners. Which I think is lost on a lot of Christians today. We think as Christians that we must always hang around Christians. Most many of us, maybe some of you, all of your friends are Christians. You don't know any lost people. Which is really crazy considering the fact that about 90% of the population that we meet every day is lost. We need some friends who are lost why so we can reach them for Christ But my point here is that we are known in part by the associations we keep not only that But listen carefully to this. We are also known by the people we support and the people we endorse So I ask you this question are the people with whom you associate? And are the people that you support and you endorse in your own life, are they looking like Jesus? Because if they don't, then neither do we. My name is Jude, he says, I'm a brother of James. And then third, he says, I am a servant of Christ. Now let's assume again that this Jude is also the half-brother of Jesus. Let's assume that he is. Assuming that he's the half-brother of Jesus, it has always puzzled me why he just didn't say that he was. I mean, after all, he says, this is Jude, I'm a brother of James. It wouldn't have been just a small phrase further to say, and I'm also a half-brother of Jesus. I mean, to me, that would have been impressive. I mean, it would have been like he was saying, look, my name's Jude. Some of you know him, know me. For those of you who don't, you certainly know my brother James. And for those of you who don't know my brother James, I know you know my half-brother Jesus, right? So if he's the half-brother of Jesus, why doesn't he say so? I would have. I would have said that, but he doesn't. So if I believe that he's the half-brother of Jesus, then I I have to think to myself, why doesn't he say so? Now, we could say, well, he didn't say so because he's modest and he's humble and he doesn't want to use Jesus' name in a braggadocious or an arrogant way. That could be what happened. But I will tell you what I believe to be sure, and it's this. He doesn't tell people that he's the half-brother of Jesus, and here's why. It was far more important to Jude that people consider him the servant of Jesus rather than the brother of Jesus. Let's imagine Mary, the mother of Jesus, by the way. People come up to her and they say, who are you? She could say, I'm the mother of Jesus. Or they could say, how how are you related to this young man who's teaching over? Well, I'm the mother of Jesus. And that would have been important to Mary. She was not ashamed of being the mother of Jesus. But I'll tell you what was more important though to Mary, the mother of Jesus, was not that she was the mother of Jesus, but that she was also the servant of Jesus. And so you and I are known by the name we're given. You and I are known by the people we associate with and the people we support and endorse. But we're also known as Christians, I hope we're known by whether or not we are servants of Christ and, and... The identification of being a servant of Christ is far more important than your given name and far more important than the people you associate with, even though both of those are important. By the way, the word servant, is the Greek word doulos. In Greek, there are a couple of words that are used most often that's translated, that are translated servant. One of them is diakonos, from which we get our word deacon. It's translated Servant sometimes it's translated uh, deacon, sometimes minister. But here the word is doulos. And doulos literally is a common household slave. Jude, rather than telling these people that he's the half-brother of Jesus, found it more important to tell them, I am a slave to Jesus. In other words, I have discovered someone who is so important to me that I have forgotten everything forsaken every other thing that's important to me and I have become a servant a slave of this Jesus I've given him my whole life whatever he says for me to do I'm going to do it let me just stop and ask all of us this question do our lives reflect that we are servants of Jesus And let me, uh, let me just carry a little bit further. Is it easier for people to know whether you're conservative or liberal than it is for you to be a follower of Jesus? Or is it easier for people to know what political party you're a member of rather than whether you're a follower of Jesus? You see, some of us are known more easily by our affiliations than we are by our Christianity. Christianity. I'm a servant of Christ. Finally, or fourth, he says, I'm loved by God. Here in verse, in verse number two, he says, or verse number one, to those who've been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Loved. Jude wanted everybody to know that he is loved. And not only is he loved, but he wants them to know that they are loved. And I want you to know how much God loves you. And some of you have been places. Some of us have been places. But in spite of the places we've been and the things we've done, God loves you. God loved Jude so much that he gave his only begotten son, who may have been Jude's half-brother, to die for Jude. That's love. He loves us enough to die for us. He loves us enough to, to invite us to salvation. But his love goes beyond that. He says, who are kept in Jesus. Kept for Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Kept is a military term. Did you know, did you know that if you are a true Christian, if you've truly been saved, did you know that your salvation from this point on does not depend on you? It depends on the Lord Jesus Christ Christ. So in other words, once you are truly a Christian, you don't have to be a good person to still be saved. Now that may sound contradictory, but let me tell you something. We are kept not by our own merit or lack thereof, we are kept by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, once you become a Christian, there's nothing you can do to lose it. Nothing. There was nothing you could really do outside of receiving Christ to get it. And now you can't lose it. And so I would say this, somebody comes up to me and they say, well, I was saved, but I just lost it. I would say you never had it. If you've lost it, you never had it because if you truly had it, you'd never lose it. I'm beginning to sound like Yogi Bear up here. God loves you enough to save you. He loves you enough once you're saved to keep you. And then finally, he says, I'm, Jude says, I'm called by Christ. Called by Christ. Every person in this room is called. You've been called by God. You've been called by Christ. And there are three things that we have been called to that I want you to to hear. First of all, we've been called to embrace the life of Jesus Christ. We've been called to embrace. When when, when I was eight years old, uh, I was in a, a, a revival in a country Baptist church, and I heard the good news about Jesus. And I was a, I was a preacher's kid, so I had been in church uh, uh, from from the time I was conceived. I've been in church nine months longer than I've been alive as far as a human being. And so, but here, here I was, and I was in this church on a Sunday night. I heard the good news, and I embraced Jesus means I believed in him I placed my faith in him and we're called to embrace Jesus but we're also called to experience Jesus a lot of people say well I believe in him or I believe certain things about him that's good and well but it's not enough in addition to in addition to uh, embracing Jesus we need we need to experience him He comes into your life, he lives with you, you feel his presence, he moves you. And then, we're called not only to embrace his life and experience his life, we're called to exhibit his life. Now what is, what does it mean to exhibit his life? Verse 2, Jude says, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Now this is a summary of what Christians ought to be. First, mercy. If you are a Christian, you've been saved, you have received God's mercy. Mercy is God's goodness that we don't deserve. Mercy. You are the recipient of God's mercy. Second is peace. You are the recipient of God's peace. And third, he says love. You are the recipient of God's love. Now, you and I deserve neither of those three things, but we are the recipient of his mercy, peace, and love. But the Bible teaches that those of us who have received these things are also responsible for exhibiting those three things. So if you've been shown God's mercy, then you of all people ought to be a giver of mercy to those that you deem to be undeserving of it. And if you have been the recipient of God's peace, then you ought to be a person who is the most peace-promoting person of all of your family and of anybody else among your friends. And if you have received God's love which you didn't deserve, then you and I ought to be givers of that same love to those who we deem to be undeserving of it. We're in a nation that's so divided. I've never seen it as divided as it is in in the most in my lifetime. But listen to this. If peace should come from anywhere in our nation, you know where it ought to just bubble up from? It ought to bubble up from the church because the church people, saved people who make up the church ought to be the most peace loving and love expressing and mercy giving people on the planet and I will say this if true peace ever does return to our country it's going to start with God's people so I ask you If you get pulled over on the way home and the deputy asks for your identification and you start to give it to him, and he says, no, I want to see your identification that shows that you are a true follower of Jesus. What identification will you produce? let's pray our father oh I'm ashamed to say Lord that there are so many times in my life that had I been pulled over by a police officer insisting that I give them identification to prove my relationship with you There's so many times that I don't I'd really have to struggle to produce identification God it's time that we put Christ back in what it means to be a Christian We have names we affiliate with folks We give our support to other folks But Lord, are we a servant of Jesus? Do we look like Jesus? Do we talk like Jesus? Do we love like Jesus? Do we give mercy like Jesus? Are we peace-loving like Jesus? Because these were your traits. These are the things people noticed about you more than anything. God, help us to love like you love. In Jesus' name. Amen.